Good morning. All right, Colossians chapter 1, as Pastor Larry just encouraged us. So turn there with me so you can follow along as we go and walk our way through. First, before we jump in, I want to thank Pastor Ben for bringing us God's Word last week. Uh, he did a wonderful job, and I'm just encouraged as we get to sit and look into God's Word each week. And each week, God has a new challenge for us. He has new encouragements for us, uh, and he has new things for us to learn. So thank you, Pastor Ben, for walking us through last week and encouraging us with God, uh, fulfilling the Old Testament in history and in our lives. Today, historically, is called Pentecost Sunday. It's something that the church historically has set aside this Sunday to remember and celebrate the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So after Christ rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, a bunch of believers went and waited. And we can read about this in the book of Acts. And as they waited, as they were instructed from God to wait, eventually the Holy Spirit descended on them, indwelt them, scattered them throughout the world, and the work of the church began. That's the same Holy Spirit that fills us as believers today and sends us on mission today. So I wanted to just mention that briefly, being Pentecost Sunday, and, and it's a time just, you know, a certain amount of days after Easter that the church historically has celebrated that great event of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The, the change from striving to please God and trying to do the works that were needed for that under the law to being indwelt by God and being fully accepted by him because the Holy Spirit has changed us and transformed our hearts. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. So as you're going throughout your week and maybe even your morning and day today, remember that. And we just sang a few minutes ago a song called Open Up the Heavens. And that's kind of what I picture on that day of Pentecost is the heavens opening up, the Holy Spirit descending on the believers and everything changes from there forward in the life of the church and the church goes throughout the whole world. So we're in that place as well. I'm going to read to you a couple verses out of Luke chapter 24 to get started. Stay in Colossians. Don't worry. We're going to go there in a second. But Luke chapter 24 kind of sets the stage for what we're talking about today. We've been spending the last two weeks, this will be our third week, talking about Christ fulfilling. The idea that as Christ came, he did not do away with everything God had done before him, incarnating on this earth. But instead, in his incarnation, coming from his throne in heaven, down to earth, putting on flesh and blood, all the things that God had been talking about and shaping and teaching people about come to fruition in him. He fulfills. Today, we're going to talk specifically about the fact that he fulfills all things. We've talked about him fulfilling scripture. We've talked about him fulfilling particularly the Old Testament. We've talked about him fulfilling the prophets and the prophecies. But today, in Colossians chapter 1, God brings us a word that tells us he not only fulfills specific things that we can pinpoint, he actually fulfills all things. In Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read a couple of verses, verses 25 through 27 for us this morning. And this is Jesus speaking, and this is after uh, he raised, is risen from the dead, and he's walking on this road to Emmaus. So if you know this story, there's a couple guys walking to Emmaus. Jesus just appears. He starts talking with them. They have no clue who he is at the beginning, and they have no idea why he doesn't know everything that's going on. And after they ask him a few questions, and he gives them a few soft answers, these verses we see in verse 25 through 27 in Luke chapter 24, he says this. So he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart 
to believe all that the prophets has spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Imagine being one of those two guys. Just, just on a stroll, a little depressed because things didn't have really go the way they wanted them to or the way they thought they were going to go. And as they're walking, so the guy just kind of joins right in, walking with him. I mean, it's funny because nobody asked where he came from. Uh, but he just all of a sudden is kind of walking with him, starts, strikes up a conversation. They're saying, he's saying, hey, what's going on? And they're like, you don't know what's going on? And the beginning of the conversation is kind of like, who is this guy? He doesn't know anything. And the end of the conversation is, let me tell you how I can interpret all of the things God's ever done. I'll go all the way back to Moses, and I'll show you how he has fulfilled in all these days all the things he promised in Christ. I mean, that, that's like seminary on a walk, right? You get walked through all of Scripture. It says he starts with Moses, and he just walks his way through all the scriptures and how he is the culmination of God's plan. And Luke 24 is kind of the setting for what we're going to look at today in Colossians. So jump over to Colossians 1 if you were with me there in Luke. In Colossians 1, uh, Paul's writing to church in Colossae, and this is a church he cares about, and he's also, is, just as he was doing, uh, as Peter was doing recently, as we taught through 2 Peter, he's trying to help guard them against false teaching. And some of the false teaching that was going on at the time was this idea that Jesus wasn't really who he said he was. He was a great guy. He was a good speaker. He was even a good teacher, maybe even a prophet, but he wasn't necessarily the son of God. And that's the teaching that was starting to creep in to the first century church. Paul decides to correct this with this passage, a little bit in this passage in Colossians chapter one. And this is what we're gonna take apart a little bit today. So read with me Colossians one, verse 15. We're gonna read down through verse 23. And then we'll go back and kind of take some things that the Lord has for us out of it. Colossians one, verse 15. He, referring to Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He's the head of the church, the body. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. 
May God bless his word this morning. And as we look into it and start to see how these massive statements of Jesus being the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, being in all things, all things be created for him and through him, and him being preeminent in the head of all things, there is a lot of stuff to unpack here. So I'm not going to go too in-depth because I think probably, as you already know, we'd be here a long time. Okay? But these verses have some major themes that as those who trust in Christ, if we say we believe in him and follow him, we have to understand the overarching push of this particular passage. One very common wrong belief that was happening in the first century and happens a lot even today is that Jesus came on the scene at some point in history. And this is easy to get caught into if you just think about a lot of times people say, well, when Jesus was born of Mary, that was his beginning, right? No. Well, what about Genesis 1? No. See, if we think about who God is, he's revealed himself to us as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed before time. They have no beginning and they have no end. And if we understand this truth, it completely shapes how we view everything else. Because there is nothing else that you or I can see, touch, experience, learn about, read about, that doesn't have a beginning and an end. God is the only, the only one who has no beginning and no end. And as the Father in heaven saw fit, he decides that Christ, Jesus, would be the one. The one to create all things, the one to sustain all things, the one to redeem all things. He is the one. Verse 15 talks to us about this image. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This word image is... A concept that we need to understand means an exact representation and revelation of the Father. So Jesus is not something lesser than the Father. The word here, image, is the exact representation. Like looking in a mirror and seeing the exact same thing. This is why Jesus could walk around on earth when he was his disciples or whether he was teaching crowds and multitudes and people would say, we want to know God. And he would look at them and say, to know me is to know the Father. If you want to know God, you need to know me. He is the image, the representation, the revelation of God to us. This is why the incarnation is so pivotal because God saw fit in his infinite wisdom and in his grace towards us to take what we could only dream about and make it tangible. That God loved us, that he was experiencing what we experienced, that he would suffer as we suffer, that he would die for us, and that he would rise again victoriously. If 
If God didn't, I, I would say it this way, I would be very skeptical of a lot of things if God didn't choose to reveal himself the way that he did. But he's infinitely wise. And in his foreknowledge of all things, he knew that we needed a tangible image, a representation of God. He is the image of the firstborn. He is, as the writer of Hebrews says, the express image of God's person in Hebrews chapter one. This is why Jesus was able later to teach and say, he that has seen me has seen the Father in John 14. In his essence, God is invisible. But Jesus Christ became revealed to us. The idea that he is the image of God that came to earth is pivotal to many of the things we're going to talk about as we finish today. Second word we want to touch on here in this first verse is firstborn. The firstborn of all creation. Many people have taken that particular statement and said, look, Jesus had a beginning. That's not what this means. This particular word in the original, in the original language could be more translated accurately maybe for us to say he is the first preeminently. Not the first with a beginning. It's not in reference to time. It's in reference to place. And he is preeminent. He is first. He's the firstborn of what, it says, of all creation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus was not the first in being created since he himself is the creator of all things. But instead, he is of first importance. He is of rank, is what this word kind of says. He is of top rank in all of creation. So he existed before creation. He is the image of God, and he is preeminent in all of creation. That's a lot in the first sentence. But as we think about what Christ fulfills for us, this is one of the things that we need to understand. He fulfills our need to know what everything is about. This is one of those big questions, right? You ever sit in a philosophy class? I sat in philosophy classes when I was in college, unwillingly, mostly. But as I was sitting in these philosophy classes, you would sit in philosophy, it was intro to philosophy, so don't think I was getting too deep, okay? It's just a freshman course. So you sit in an intro to philosophy, but... What they, one of the things they do in philosophy is they want you to ask the big questions, right? And the big questions are, why am I here and what is life all about? Well, how unbelievable is it that God actually answers those questions for us? We don't have to go searching for that. I've talked to people who've spent decades, most of their adult life, trying to figure those things out. Why am I here? Well, you can come to a lot of conclusions about that that are all going to be shaded by why you really want to be here. But the only one true answer is, why does God say I'm here? And as we look at Christ being the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation, this answer is first, who's in charge and who is before all things? 
Huge questions for humans. What happened before Genesis 1? What happened was God was in existence in three persons, and we have no idea what he was doing. See, for some of us, that's hard to understand. It's hard to accept. But it's one of those ask-when-you-get-there questions, right? Eventually, we'll get to heaven. We'll say, hey, what were you doing before Genesis 1? (laughs) But we don't know what he was doing. And frankly, if we needed to know, he'd have told us. But he tells us what we need to know, and it's this. That Christ was and is the existence, it was an existence before creation, and then he is the one who created all things. Look at verse 16 with me. Now that we know he is the image of God and he is the firstborn, he is preeminent in all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. I love that Paul does this. Paul is one of these guys, right? He says, he could have just said, for by him all things were created. But he knows that when we read that, we're going to be like, what do you mean all things? What do you mean all? You mean everything? Can I think of something maybe that wasn't created by him? So Paul, as he often does, because Paul's the master of run-on sentences and extra wording, right? He goes in and says, by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. He could have stopped there too, because that pretty much includes everything. Okay? But he doesn't. Keeps going. Dominion, whether invisible or visible. Okay, Paul, you're repeating yourself at this point, right? All things in heaven and on earth. That's everything. Visible or invisible. What's visible or invisible? Everything. And he just keeps going. So, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. Are are we getting the point yet? Whatever it is that you're thinking in the back of your mind, maybe, no, that too. He created everything. This is the work of Christ. People often ask, well, what was Jesus doing before he was born of a Virgin Mary and came to earth and lived his life here? What was he doing? He was doing everything. Everything. When you read Genesis 1 and you walk your way through the creation account, that is Jesus. The words that are spoken The active ingredient to things coming into being is Christ. He goes on and says, all things, repetitively again, were created through him and for him. Since he created all things, we can know that there's purpose in all things. Christ himself spoke the world into existence and spoke everything you or I see into existence. It's no wonder that the winds and the waves obeyed him when he was on that boat. And there's a storm going on and he says, peace, be still, and everything stopped. Why? Because everything recognized he was the one who made them. Waves, 
wind, the boat, everything. So when Jesus stops and says, guys, you need to calm down. (laughs) They're all freaking out. What are we going to do? We're going to die in this boat. Well, Jesus takes a nap. So they eventually wake him up and Jesus says those few small words and everything stops. Why? Because all it took was a few small words and those things came into existence. See, sometimes I think we relegate Christ to simply being only our Savior. And he is. Thank God for that truth. He is our Savior. But he's so much more than that. He's the creator of everything. All things were made by him, John 1 says. This includes all the things that Paul just mentioned. Ones in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Everything, all things are under his command. Why am I repeating this and why am I spending so much time on this simple statement? That he created all things. Because it reminds us that everything is under his rule and reign. So the next time that anxiety creeps into your life, the next time you're thinking, this world is so completely out of control, which doesn't take much. I read a few headlines this morning. Never good to do on a Sunday morning. I looked at a few headlines this morning, and honestly, the first thing that creeps into your head is, what is going on? This world is falling apart. It is, but it is not without Jesus still being in control. See, if we don't understand that he created all things, we won't understand that he's in charge of all things, that he's in control of all things, that everything falls under his command. And when we don't realize those truths, we have a hard time in our daily lives because we think stuff is outside of God's will, outside of his purview, outside of his control. And then what do we do? We start trying to grab that stuff. Oh, I I need to control that. I need to form the direction my life is going. I need to change how things are happening. No, you don't. You need to pray that God will open your mind to understanding that he is still in control of everything. Too often, we're the disciples on that boat, and the wind is kicking up, and the waves are coming in, and the boat's getting tossed around, and we're thinking, this is it. It's all over. There's no coming back from this. And then Jesus says, breathe. I got it. That's why it's important to know that he has created all things. That's why it's also important to reinforce his creative work of all things because this is what the world and the devil want to erode away from our understanding of scripture. If you can get rid of a creator, you can get rid of authority. If you can in some way erode the fact that God spoke everything into existence and therefore he has command over all things, you can then get rid of the idea that we have to answer to anyone. He created all things. He fulfills our need 
to surrender to his control. And I know oftentimes we think as humans, we just want to control things. But you know what your soul really wants? Your soul really wants to surrender to God. That's what your soul wants. That's that aching inside each one of us, that hole that only God can fill for us is the ability to let go and understand that he has created and in command of all things. Verse 16 and 17 also tells us that all things, not only does he create all things, but they all exist for him. Everything exists in him, for him, and through him. That's rather conclusive. Right? Everything exists in him. Everything exists for him. Everything exists through him. Verse 16 and 17 says these again, and then we'll move on. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ is the sphere in which all things exist. He is also the agent through which they all came into being. And he is the one for whom they exist. This phrase, he holds all things together. What does that mean? I read this analogy one time, and and where I read it, it's a story. It's been shared lots of times. I'm not sure where it originated. I read it from a book I was reading about D.L. Moody. It says this, one day, there was one day where a guide took a group of people through an atomic laboratory and explained how all matter was composed of rapidly moving electric particles. The tourists studied models of molecules, and they were amazed to learn that what matter is made up of is primarily space. During the question period, one visitor asked the tour guide, if this is the way matter works, what holds it all together? And in that day, that guide looked at that group and had no answer. We know how the atom works, or or at least we know how it looks. We don't know why it works that way, apart from Jesus holding it together. There is no human explanation for these electrons that spin around at a rate of speed that we can't even really hardly measure around protons and neutrons, and they spin and spin and spin and spin. Why don't they just spin off out of control? Why? There's no answer for that in the human mind. The only answer is Jesus is holding every atom together. You ever think about that? Every atom. I'm not smart enough to know how many of those there are. But every single atom in the universe, we know what they look like. We have no idea why they do the things they do or how they keep doing it. And the answer is Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I think about those kind of truths, that he holds everything together, it helps me remember 
in the times where I feel like life's out of control, that God has got his hand on everything and I can trust him. If every single little atom actually continues to function the right way, I'm going to be okay tomorrow. God holds all things together through Christ. Why does the earth rotate on its axis? Why does it circle around the sun? Why doesn't it get off course? All these questions, you can try to put formulas to them, but the only reality why a formula even exists is because Jesus is holding it together. Verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That's the, that word preeminent in 18 is connected back to verse 15, firstborn. So these two are kind of carrying much of the same connotation for us. He is of first rank. He is preeminent. He is the head of the body, the church. So when somebody asks you, who's in charge of the church? Please don't say me. I mean, don't say me referring to you and don't say my name either, okay? Jesus is the head of the church. Every faithful church, he is the one at the front of. He's the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. He is the one that empowers us to do what we've been called to do. He's the one that guides us in the direction the church should go. Jesus is the one making the decisions. That's our desire as the church. To acknowledge him in everything and to allow him to lead. He's the head of the body, the church. And notice the analogy here, the body. And it's the head of the body because the body doesn't exist without the head. The body can exist without other parts, right? You can lose a hand and still function, still be alive. You can lose a foot. You can even lose an arm. But you can't lose your head. I mean, you can lose your head. Lots of people lose their head all the time. But you can't physically lose your head. Your body will not continue to function. And that's the analogy God is trying to tell us. Make sure Jesus is the head of the church, both universally and locally. Because without the head, the church dies. Jesus is the one that keeps us moving forward the way that he's called us to. Verse 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. There's a number of sermons in that one single verse. So look at your Bibles. Don't look at me, but look at your Bibles and read it with me. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is why he is the head of the church, because of what he has done. He has reconciled us through his body, through his blood, back to God. 
Therefore, he's preeminent and in charge. Let's read verses 21 through 23 as we close. So the focus goes here from who Christ is and what he's done to us. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's all of us, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Thank God. Because none of the rest of us are holy, blameless, and above approach before him without Jesus. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, and now you can insert your name there as well. If you're a follower of Christ, this should be your decree, just like it was Paul's decree. Read verse 23, the end of it with me. The gospel which has been proclaimed in all creation and under heaven, and of which I, your name, and of which I, Rob, became a minister, and you as well. If you are in Christ, and one of the wonderful things about this passage and today being Pentecost Sunday is we focus on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, transforming our hearts and moving us forward in him. We should be able to declare verse 23 to others just like Paul did here. Are you functioning as a minister of Christ? Are you functioning as one who's been reconciled to God? Are you living as one who has been made new, not according to the old evil deeds or the old way of your life, but in the the new creation that he has brought you into? Are you living in that truth? Could you stand up and say this declaration together? Don't shift from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Steadfast and stable is the description. Stay where God has brought you into. Why? Why can you trust him? Why can you relinquish control? Why can you surrender to him? Why can you continually go back to him? Why can you trust him with what's happening, whether you think it's good or bad? Why can you do that? Because he, is be- he was before creation. He created all things. They all exist for him. He holds every single thing together. And he is the head of the church. And he is preeminent in our lives. How does this passage fit in the series that we're walking through right now in Christ fulfilling? It fits in this. We can pick out individual things that Christ has fulfilled. And they are all true. And in the end, we can take one step back and say, he's fulfilled everything. He has accomplished everything that God had put out before him. And he, in turn, is the creator, sustainer, savior, bringer of peace, reconcile, reconciler, and redeemer. All the things that creation has ever, has forever sought, are found in him. There is no one else that you can go to. There is nothing else 
that you can run to that will fulfill you as Christ will? Nothing. As I close, I'm going to read six verses from Isaiah, and I'm going to ask you to do something slightly unorthodox. I'm going to pray when I'm done, but I'm going to ask you to go ahead and close your eyes and just listen to these verses spoken hundreds of years before Christ was born in the flesh in this world. Isaiah 53 reminds us, and we come to the communion table this morning as well, it is a reminder that as God set out to make all things right, Christ is the fulfillment of what everyone was waiting for. So close your eyes with me and just listen to these verses before we pray. Isaiah 51. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look to him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 